Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 13's in the books. How are you doing? You want to talk about some games? Doing okay. Um, recording this from my beach house, so it could be worse for sure. You poor um, thing. Yeah, it was a brutal weekend. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we got to go through these. Uh, man, Virginia Tech drive like hell. They did. They did. Let's start there, Mike. Yeah, we got we got six games to recap. Uh, we're going to go through these here fairly quickly, I think. Uh, we'll start there, as you mentioned, number three, Clemson 45, Virginia Tech 10. And I got to tell you, Mike, for what this scoreboard says about the game, I was pretty impressed with Virginia Tech. And, and you know, we had mentioned on, on the preview, and I mentioned in particular, I wasn't really sure if the give a damn was going to be there for the Hokies. And it was, and they played their tails off, and this was a, this was a really good close game for at least the first half and a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I have to give the coaching staff credit, which I mean, that's not going to be a popular take on this podcast because <laughs> a lot of people just, and I understand from a win loss standpoint and everything else, you know, why everybody wants the staff to no longer be employed in Blacksburg. I get all that, but. You have to give credit where credit's due. I really like the game plan on both sides of the football. Yep. Offensively, it was clear that Virginia Tech's plan was to sit on the ball and limit possessions, yep. which I think is the right move when you're a 22-point underdog. You're outmanned, especially with Clemson's offense going up against your defense. You're clearly outflanked and outmanned, and you try to limit possessions in an effort to not only cover the spread, but to make the game extremely competitive if some mistakes are made on the other side. And some mistakes were made on the other side to keep Virginia Tech in this football game in the first half. The problem was that in the second half, Virginia Tech started making mistakes. And the one thing you can't do with this type of strategy of limiting possessions and sitting on the ball and running the play clock all the way down, there there are two things. Number one, you can't fall behind, right? Because if you fall behind, then you have to speed up, which is something you inherently don't want to do against a team that, quite frankly, just outmans you all over the field. But number two, and it kind of contributes to number one, number two, you don't want to make mistakes. Uh, Virginia Tech, unfortunately, made a ton of mistakes in the second half of this football game. They lost three fumbles. That was crucial in in the outcome. One of them was returned for a touchdown. The other one set Clemson up deep in opposing territory, literally right after Virginia Tech forced a red zone turnover defensively of Trevor Lawrence. So I thought Virginia Tech overall, from a game plan standpoint, I think it was – the right decision to do that mm-hmm. a couple of other things here there was total game mismanagement at the end of the first half virginia tech had the ball with three timeouts with just under a minute left to play clemson had just scored a touchdown uh, to take a 17 to 10 lead over the Hokies. 
and Virginia Tech had an opportunity to go down and at least get a field goal. Well, Virginia Tech kind of ran a couple running plays, and it was clear they were going to bleed out the clock and sit on the ball. But then Khalil Herbert broke a long run, and right before halftime, Braxton Burmeister throws a pass deep down the right-hand side, a pass that was completed uh, to Raheem Blackshear at the one-yard line. He was pushed out of bounds. It was kind of a Hail Mary-type play. It got tipped. Blackshear caught it at the one and was pushed out of bounds, nearly scored on that play. Virginia Tech fans were livid because of the clock mismanagement at the end. It was clear Virginia Tech wasn't trying to score. I was pretty frustrated with that, too, and rubbing salt in the wound was that play that ended the first half with getting shoved out of the bounds of the one-yard line. Jeff. Gosh, what a what an absolute hold-on-to-your-butts moment that was. Like <laughs> Yes, because that would have been that would have been obviously a huge play and could have swung the momentum back Virginia Tech's way. Um so that wasn't that wasn't good, and especially for somebody who may good. may have had a slight investment in Clemson winning by a large margin. That would have uh, that right. would have hurt a little bit. Ag- agree. Um, I'll tell you what. It also helped somebody who was invested in the under. <laughs> he got shoved out of bounds at the one yard line. That helped me out a lot. Um, so that's kind of where it started to snowball. Credit for Virginia Tech's defense in the second half for getting a stop because <laughs> Clemson was getting the ball back getting a stop to start the second half was huge because that's where everybody expected the game to start going downhill. It did go downhill shortly after that, but it wasn't because of the defense at that very moment to start the second half. They were able to force a three and out and get off the field quickly to give Virginia Tech's offense a chance to work, but turnovers kind of doomed the whole thing. Um, A a couple of other random notes I want to get to. Um, Hendon Hooker started this game. He dropped the opening snap, and Fuente basically just sat him down and said, you know, you're a little anxious and hyped up. Let's put in Burmeister. He throws Burmeister into the game, and it worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. He promptly comes in and throws a touchdown pass. So they just left him in there. And then in the second half, Burmeister leaves with a leg injury. Hendon Hooker comes back in and has some weird – he drops a snap, fumbles, his return for a touchdown. He leaves the game, Hendon Hooker does, because he's having muscle spasms due to extreme cold weather which was a weird explanation given by Justin Fuente in the post game, but he essentially, what happened was he couldn't get warm. Nobody bought that explanation, uh, but essentially what Alan Hooker, Hendon Hooker's dad said to local media yesterday, Sunday, was that it, it's a symptom, like not being able to get warm like this when it's very cold and kind of having muscle spasms. It's a symptom of extreme, like, stress and weather so Hmm. the speculation going around now is that Hendon Hooker was anxious like over anxious to play and was also too cold it was very it's a very odd explanation they said he's hopefully fully recovered but this whole dropping the snap thing for Hooker is something that has plagued him for a while at Virginia Tech like fumbling snaps and Justin Fuente said it like two years ago. He was like, Hooker would be getting more run if he could field snaps out of shotgun. And everybody was like, how is this a thing? But it legitimately is. Like he's had kind of the yips in regard to fielding snaps before. So Has he tried talking to Chuck Knobloch? God. <laughs> what a throwback. Holy crap. Go Yankees, right? I um, guess. Yeah. So very, uh, very weird on that front. Um and then the other note, Justin Hamilton, Virginia Tech's defensive coordinator, has caught a lot of flack all season long because the defense hasn't played particularly well. And I, I want to give him credit because they played a lot of man-free in this game defensively. 
versus the zone defense that he's wanted to run more frequently, which hasn't worked out. He went to more of Bud Foster's scheme and the defense was flying around early. I was really impressed with how they played in this football game. The problem was Clemson adjusted in the second half and Virginia Tech didn't. They got absolutely toasted on defense in the second half. But I think some of that was also due to the fact that Virginia Tech's offense couldn't stay on the field either. So I think it all just kind of snowballed for the Hokies here. Credit Clemson, too, by the way, for um, doing what Clemson does when teams make mistakes. I did not think this was Clemson's best game. I didn't think Trevor Lawrence looked particularly sharp. Um, obviously, 12 of 22 for 195, a touchdown and a really bad red zone interception. So that wasn't good either. Um, they didn't run the ball real well, which is weird. I mean, the, the numbers look a lot better than they actually were. Darius Rencher, Darian Rencher had a 50-yard touchdown run in garbage time that really mm-hmm. kind of inflated the stats for Clemson. They ended up averaging almost eight yards per carry as a team, but it didn't necessarily come easy for the majority of this football game. So I thought Virginia Tech hung in there. I thought they had a good game plan, but they were on their third string quarterback in the second half. And by the time he was in, the game was already out of hand anyway because of the really bad turnovers, which is what ultimately doomed Virginia Tech, I thought. Yeah. I, I You mentioned Justin Hamilton and, and the defense, and I, I want to use that to transition into something here in just a second. But um, I, I was just going to say, I mean, Again, you mentioned the, the the game plan that Virginia Tech came out with, especially on offense. I, I I thought it was brilliant. Like Clemson only had the ball four times in the first half, and it is really hard to score fifty two points before halftime if you only have the ball four times. Shout out Jeff Collins, um, anti Georgia Tech. Yeah, no, like, but this is exactly also is is exactly what Liberty did to Virginia Tech like a month ago. Like, was you just right. you run the play clock down inside of ten seconds before you even consider snapping the ball? Like they were. They were huddling up. They were slow, slow, slow with everything they did. And I thought that not only did that, again, help bleed clock and, and shorten the game, and you you know, you know maximize the chance that you're able to win based on a, a weird thing happening here or there to Clemson, but also you kept Clemson's offense off the field, and they really had a hell of a time trying to get into rhythm there any in the first half. Um, and I thought that was part of their struggles was, you know, you, Again, on a cold night, it's like you get off the field and go sit on the on the bench for almost twenty minutes before you get the ball back. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a really good game plan, as you mentioned. Like this this coaching staff, I felt like you know we're, we're still talking about well they need to be fired, like all this stuff. But as you mentioned, credit where credits due. Like it was a it was a good game plan, and, and you know they gave themselves the best chance to win, even in a five touchdown loss. Like just yeah. it's Clemson that, that they do what they do. But, you know, again, you, you almost tied the game at, at going into halftime. Like that was, you were that close. So credit to them. Um, you mentioned Justin Hamilton in that defense. And, and there was something I wanted to bring up here too, from kind of more from a Clemson angle. And you mentioned that, yeah, that Trevor Lawrence didn't look great. There was a graphic that went up on the screen at one point, uh, I believe it was in the late third quarter in the, or in the fourth quarter where they were showing Trevor Lawrence's efficiency as a passer this year, on throws of 19 yards or less and of throws of 20 yards or more. And there is a wild difference there of he's completing like close to 80% of his passes inside of 20 yards, you know, up to 19 yards. And he's down under 40% beyond 20 yards. And Mike, one of the things that just kind of stuck with me, and I think that we need to monitor with this Clemson team is kind of something that we've alluded to and, and, but it's been a while but I think you also saw it in this game in particular was Clemson's receivers are not getting a ton of separation when they play, you know, athletic secondaries. Nope. Like, you know, Trevor Lawrence, quote unquote, having issues in this game, the ball wasn't off target. The ball wasn't, you know, not on time. 
those receivers are just constantly covered up because you don't have a Justin Ross or, or someone to that effect that can really break free and get separation. So the, yeah, the window yeah. becomes almost nothing for Trevor Lawrence to throw into. Yeah, and Cordell Powell has kind of emerged as that Justin Ross, like, speedster, like, burner athletic type, but he's still kind of coming into his own. Mm -hmm. He's not a guy who has been proven at that position from the jump this year. So the passing game is still coming on a little bit for Clemson, and I tweeted this during the game. I, I do expect Clemson to play much better in two weeks than they did in this game um, against Notre Dame, but if Clemson plays similar to how they played against Virginia Tech in two weeks – they could get run off the field in Charlotte. Yeah, they <laughs> like, could get beat. They could get beat. Like, this was not a very good performance from Clemson overall. Um, but, you still, you know, it's all relative, though. I mean, you still win by five touchdowns. But there were some elements to this game where you looked at from Clemson and the receivers not gaining separation is one. Virginia Tech able to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence is another one where, okay, you've got some elements to this that, could be an issue for Clemson as they start playing better teams here moving forward. Obviously, against a team like Notre Dame, the ACC championship, and then if Clemson gets beyond that, it'll be someone else who's really good in the playoff. Might be Notre Dame again. Might be in Ohio State, in Alabama. Who knows? Guys, you know, there there are teams out there who can get after the passer um, and, and can cover up the skill talent of Clemson at receiver. And if Clemson isn't able to figure out a way to either scheme those things correctly, this could be an issue for the Tigers against better competition. And yep. I think that that's the biggest takeaway for me from the Clemson angle in this game in a game that they won by five touchdowns. Yep, absolutely. That's That, that, that to me I, is the macro takeaway here for Clemson is that it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a problem in this game, but it'll become a much bigger problem when you play better defenses, better secondaries, that kind of thing. Right. So. Something to uh, to monitor, and we'll we'll keep an eye on as we go down the stretch here. Mike, that's yep. all I got in this game. Anything else? Now we can move on. Clemson forty five, Virginia Tech ten. Let's move on and talk about Notre Dame. They'll. Uh, by the way, Clemson by winning this game locks up the other spot in the ACC championship game. They will be facing the number two Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who beat Syracuse by a score of forty five to twenty one. Uh, not not a cover situation here for Notre Dame. Uh, really kind of an ugly situation altogether for the Irish. It took them a while to get control of this game. Almost the entire first half was spent with this being like a one score kind of game. Um, they just kind of looked, they, they kind of looked like a team, Mike, that felt like they could just roll their helmets out there and win. And, and they did not look sharp in the first half, but really turned it on in the second half. Yeah. Brian Kelly said at halftime that you would have thought that Notre Dame started the game at three 30 instead of two 30 with the way they played. <laughs> So Brian Kelly was clearly not happy with the performance in the first half. Uh, yeah, Notre Dame led this game 24-7 to at the break, but they scored three times in the final like six minutes or something in the second quarter. So that's kind of how they pulled away. Uh, really ugly performance early for Notre Dame. I don't think that the Irish were really interested in being there, Joey. Mm -hmm. um, it just didn't really seem like they were – too enthralled with the idea of playing Syracuse two weeks before playing a team like Clemson. Uh, they were but, getting beat up front by Syracuse, like on both sides yeah. of the line. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. It really didn't make sense there for a while. Uh, the takeaway for me is that Syracuse ran the ball and we have not seen this. Notre Dame's defense has been really good this year. Mm -hmm. um, so we haven't seen this, but 
Syracuse had two running backs go over 100 yards in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Tucker did it. Uh, 24 carries for 113, a touchdown. Cooper Lutz had a long run when the game was already decided. He had an 80-yard run, which inflated his stats a little bit. But with that being said, like Notre Dame gave up 229 yards on the ground in this game, and we have not been able to say that about Notre Dame's defense. So it was not a great performance by Notre Dame. I'm not too particularly concerned about it, uh, mostly because I, I don't know the, the willingness to really play a team like Syracuse. And we have seen Notre Dame play, uh, you know, much better against better competition this year, like multiple times, like obviously what they did against North Carolina a couple of weeks ago and then beating Clemson at home uh, earlier this year. So I'm not particularly concerned about Notre Dame, just like I'm not particularly concerned about Clemson not looking great against Virginia Tech early and then pulling away. Uh, but there are some elements, much like the, the Clemson game, there are some elements here for Notre Dame to monitor. Like, you've got to get off to a faster start offensively. Like, you can't go out against Clemson, get off to a slow start offensively, and play that team from behind. Uh, that, that's something you definitely can't do. They didn't fall behind in this game to Syracuse, but like you mentioned, it was a one-score game for most of the first half. Notre Dame run, running the ball. I mean, they ran for 283, which was great. They had Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams both go over 100 yards, but like like we just mentioned with Syracuse, Chris Tyree had 94 yards on one run, which really broke the game open, which was awesome for the teaser for a minute there, Joey, until they <laughs> turned around and gave up that touchdown run for Cooper Lutz. Goodness. I, uh, by the way, Javon McKinley, seven catches for 111 yards and three scores. Yeah. Potential player of the week candidate right there. Just keep keep an eye on him. Yeah, and uh, closet Heisman candidate Ian Book, because he would have been a Heisman candidate if he played this well in the month of September and early October, he had five touchdowns. So, yeah. quick side note on the Notre Dame quarterback that continues to play extremely well. Yeah, quiet, casual, five-touchdown game for Ian Book here. Uh, three through the yeah. year, two on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a ton to say here. It, it Man, that rushing stat against Notre Dame's defense is really kind of jarring for me right now. Like, yeah. A, Notre Dame's defense doesn't give that up like to anybody. Like Clemson struggled to run the ball against Notre Dame. Like how is and then to think that it's Syracuse doing that who has struggled to run the ball against almost everybody all year. Yeah, man. I yeah, this 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 didn't give me the warm fuzzies about Notre Dame, but as you mentioned, I mean, it didn't really seem like they wanted to be there that bad. This was a game that I mean, Again, you, you've already locked up a spot in the ACC championship game. Everyone's basically acting like you, you've locked up a spot in the playoff. You've got a one and nine team coming into your your building, whatever. Yeah, I could see why you might stay out an extra hour the night before partying or whatever right. you do. I, you know, so did not give me the warm fuzzies about Notre Dame. Really, kind of weird. Feel like neither Notre Dame nor Clemson made me feel great with performances this weekend here this this time of the year. But you know, as mentioned, they will meet here in a few weeks, a couple of weeks actually. Uh, for the ACC championship. It's good to uh, not feel good about either team and have them win by a combined nine touchdowns. So yeah, that's very weird though. Very true. Very true. Um, also worth mentioning that Notre Dame was plus two in turnovers here because Syracuse turned it over four times, including three fumbles lost. So um, not super pretty. Um, yeah. Notre Dame it, turned it over, missed a field goal. Rex Culpepper threw one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen. Uh, to Dalen Hayes, Notre Dame's linebacker. Yeah, that he basically good. dropped in coverage into flat, and Rex Culpepper just looked at him and then threw it right to him, hit him right in the numbers with it. So that was terrible. Yep, yep. Mike, I think that's all I got here. You want to keep moving? Yep. Notre Dame 45, Syracuse 21. Let's move on. NC State 23, Georgia Tech 13. 
Mike, this is a game, you know, from a Georgia Tech perspective, they they lost and they lost by 10 points. I, I was pretty good with how they played. I mean, the defense looked pretty good, uh, really gave NC State's rushing attack a lot of problems. Uh, NC State finishes with 32 carries for 88 yards. Um, that's been a, a very viable rushing attack that was all of a sudden having some issues in this game. Um, Jeff Sims started out really slow throwing the ball. He struggled at least early on, but then started making some really nice throws as the game went on. It seems like he found a connection there quite a bit with Adonicus Sanders, uh, who had seven catches for 105 yards. Um, you know, Georgia Tech found some things that were working. I, I was more encouraged by the fact that the defense still is not, like, blowing a ton of coverages and, and just getting way out of position and that kind of thing. So, you know, all in all, I was, I was okay, even in a 10-point loss for Georgia Tech here. Uh, NC State, nice bounce back for them after nearly losing in the Carrier Dome the week before. Bailey Hockman had a couple of couple of rough moments, but was largely pretty good in this game. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of good stuff. Well-played game, fairly clean. I don't think there was a turnover from either side. So, you know, 12 penalties for 111 yards on Georgia Tech's not great. But um, NC State, you know, pretty, pretty well-played, got it done, and a good win for the Wolfpack. They finished 8-3, and three, Mike. Yeah, eight and three going to a bowl game. And Dave Doran, if it weren't for a couple of other high level coaching performances in the conference, probably would have won coach of the year. So mm-hmm. that's something we didn't see coming in the preseason. The two quarterbacks, the takeaway for me is both quarterbacks got off to like terrible starts. I mean, neither one of them, I think they were combined like two of 12 or two of 13. Yeah. <laughs> it was like real bad by both of them to start the game. Um, but then both of them turned it around. Like you mentioned, Jeff Sims made some good throws. Bailey Hawkman made some huge throws at big moments, a couple of big third down conversions. Uh, NC State running the ball, like you mentioned, Georgia Tech's defense did a great job forcing NC State to throw it a ton. Uh, Bailey Hawkman was up to the challenge. He didn't throw any touchdowns in this game, but he throws for 309 yards, um, didn't turn the football over, got, like I mentioned, some crucial third down conversions. And NC State, they did not run the football well, but they ran it well enough around the goal line and goal-to-go situations, that sort of thing. And yeah, NC State wins this game, you know, in a kind of a slog. I mean, Georgia Tech definitely uglied it up. They ran the ball well. They kept the ball away from NC State, and they forced NC State to really put the ball in the air, I think, more than they intended to. Um, But again, NC State, it works out offensively and defensively. They've just continued to improve every week as the season has gone along. So credit to Dave Dorn and that staff. This is a nice win to cap off the year for NC State. Eight and three is much better than I expected. Yeah. Uh, probably also worth mentioning here that Georgia Tech played this game with like something like 54 scholarship players on their sideline. Yikes. Um, you know, and especially there were a number in the trenches that, that struggled. I know there was, uh, I know one or one or two NC State fans were kind of complaining on Twitter during the game about, well, there's all these injuries, you know, slowing down the tempo. It's like there are some guys playing a lot more snaps right now than they are used to. Like, right. you know, and, and part of that was that NC State was moving the ball one way or the other with tempo without it. So like it. I don't think that that was as much a, a you know, a last ditch effort at stopping it as much as just actual exhaustion. <laughs> um, so there's right. that. Um, was gonna One of the guys they played this game without was Jameer Gibbs um, and to still rack up 261 yards on the ground. I mean, they ran the ball well. Um, they were at times getting yards in chunks uh, against this defense. You saw some really nice uh, improv scrambles from Jeff Sims in this game, uh, starting to use his legs a little bit more. So I was happy with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was all things considered for Georgia Tech to lose this game by ten points. And by the way, Mike, by the way, potential like moment of the week, Georgia Tech hit a field goal 
two field goals with a long of 26 yards. Which is two more than usual. They didn't get – this is the, literally this is the first field goal that they have hit since the Florida State game to start the year. Dear God. Oh, my God. It didn't get blocked. There weren't any penalties. Just two good old-fashioned three-point field goals. Atta boy, Gavin Stewart. Atta boy. Doesn't happen often. It really doesn't. Um, yeah, kicking game has been a nightmare, and that's Rash. putting it lightly all year. Yes. So, yeah, good stuff. Low-key dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah. Not even low-key, like kind of a high-key dumpster fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, good win for NC State. I, I, I Even in a loss, I, I felt pretty good about what I saw from Georgia Tech. Um, anything else here, Mike? No, they were good. NC State 23, Georgia Tech 13. Mike, have you done any Christmas shopping yet? More than expected for this time of year. Is that right? Is there, is there any uh, special place that you've been going for your Christmas shopping? Homefield Apparel, baby. Homefieldapparel.com. What do they got there, Mike? Sweet vintage college gear for all of your favorite teams. Um, most ACC teams are on there. Uh, Bowling Green is on there. Go Falcons, Joey. Absolutely. We'll give it a little, uh, uh, here we go. There you go. There it is. Yeah, need needed to drop. Anytime we can drop the sound effect in, we need to drop it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Homefield Apparel. If you so you'll be listening to this podcast either the seventh or the eighth, maybe even the ninth of December. Uh, Homefield said if you place your order prior to December tenth, you will get the gear before Christmas. So if you're looking at buying some sweet college apparel for your loved ones this holiday season, go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code GoACC at checkout. Receive twenty percent off of your first order here during this holiday season. But make sure you place the order before December 10th to make sure you get it by Christmas. If you don't really care when you get it, place it whenever you want. Just use that promo code GOACC at checkout and get that 20% off. Absolutely. Helps us. Helps some really good people over at Homefield. Uh, T-shirts, tank tops. But if you're looking for something maybe a little more seasonally appropriate, they got sweatshirts and hoodies as well. Uh, they look great. They're incredibly comfortable. Uh, really high-quality products. Great-looking uh, logos, as you mentioned. A lot of vintage uh, looking apparel so go check them out once again go acc at checkout for 20 percent off your first order at homefieldapparel.com thank you guys for uh, supporting them and for supporting us by doing so yep mike virginia 43 boston college 32 uh this this game got a little wild um it, it was hard I, I will say it was hard to kind of keep up with this while also keeping up with notre dame syracuse and georgia tech nc state but uh, this was a good win for Virginia, uh, a game where, first of all, we found out shortly before kickoff and shortly after I put investments in, uh, Dennis Grissel was going to be the starter for this game. There was no Phil Dracovic nor David Bailey for Boston College. Uh, yep. Grissel starts, goes 32 of 46 for 520 yards, four scores and three picks. Um, absolute fireworks show over there. And one or two of the fireworks set the house on fire, but that's fine. Um but man, for Virginia to rack up 43 points against this defense and do what they were able to do, especially on the ground, moving the ball really well. Uh, Brennan Armstrong, I thought was really good in this game. He he played quite a, a had pretty a, a really impressive performance here for him. Um, good win for Virginia in a game that we thought Boston College, even with Dennis Grissel, Boston College probably it, it felt like they should have been the favorite here. So for Virginia to win the game and, and do it as convincingly as they did, I, I thought it was a really good showing here for the Cavs. Yeah, so the over-under in this game, Joey, was like 56, something <laughs> like that. And so I bet the under, and you'll remember in the preview that I discussed the weather being a factor. Well, the weather cleared out, but even if the weather wasn't, 
was indeed a factor like I expected it to, I still think it would have gone over with the way these two teams played this football game. Um, maybe Dennis Grozel doesn't throw for 520 yards in a downpour, but I still feel pretty good about this game going over with the way these two defenses played. Mm-hmm. This was ugly, ugly, ugly from a defensive standpoint. Now, credit both sides for forcing turnovers here. Dennis Grozel threw three picks. I think that was obviously the ultimate factor in the outcome as to why Virginia won this totally normal game where they give up 520 passing yards and lose by two scores. <laughs> but this was a weird performance nonetheless. And look, for the fact that you're giving up 520 yards to a guy like Dennis Grossell, like that screams alarm if I'm a Virginia fan. Because Grossell is not exactly, from what I've seen out of him over the last couple of years, hasn't exactly been a guy to do that regularly. So the fact that he's thrown for 520 under defense probably isn't a good thing. Despite the fact that Virginia did a really nice job stopping the run, in his football game, Boston College just couldn't run the ball at all. Joey, like you mentioned, 20 carries, negative seven yards. And obviously, Dennis Grozel having like 27 sack yards played a big role in that. But the, the running game in general for Boston College wasn't very good. So credit UVA there. But from a passing game standpoint, holy, I mean, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Virginia and their secondary, they're, they they got to figure something out because it is, it is not working. Um, and they've had a – you know, between losing Bryce Hall after last year and um, oh, there's the other guy I'm forgetting, uh, Jordan, not Jordan Love, Jordan Hall. No, anyways, there's no, there was another uh, really good safety that they lost after last year. Um, Jordan Mack, that's who I'm thinking of. He was, he was kind of a linebacker, but he, you know, he's really athletic. Um, you know, losing a couple of those guys after last year, plus a couple of opt outs and injuries and that kind of thing. Like, I get that it's it's a depleted group, but man, the effectiveness is just not there right now for that secondary. Um, they do come up with three picks. Uh, you know, a couple of them in kind of wonky situations, but it, it is good for them to do that and uh, be able to kind of put this game away that way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one way or the other. Like Virginia found a way to win this game again. They got four sacks on on Grossell, you know, and and they stopped the run so. Really, it became a, a, a one-man operation of, of Grissel trying to find Zay Flowers, Hunter Long, C.J. Lewis, and those guys, and they just d- didn't do quite enough in that way. Um, but yeah, I, I, generally, I was surprised that this game between these two teams turned into this level of a shootout, Like, especially considering what Boston College was mis- missing on offense. Like, I wasn't expecting either of these teams to put up this many points, but I, I, sometimes things work out that way, I suppose. Yeah, it's just a very, very odd game with the way it kind of went down. But, I mean, credit UVA, and like we've kind of been touting this entire year, uh, Brennan Armstrong, really important to Virginia's offense, both running and throwing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was the leading rusher. I mean, he had a 60-yard rush, you know, adding to a a final total of 130 yards on the ground. But, I mean, led the team in rushing, obviously led the team in passing. Um, You're starting to see some involvement from Keaton Thompson, which is interesting. Um, He's second on the team with 86 rushing yards. Um, He's lining up in all sorts of places around the offense. So, yeah, lots of – I don't know. It's it's interesting, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what I think or feel about Virginia – and I'm still kind of struggling to some degree to come up with exactly what it is, but I think that's probably a good good thing to mention is how important Brandon Armstrong is, is because whatever whatever this offense is and however effective it is, like all of it, all of that effectiveness goes through him. Um, right. You know, and I know we've talked on Twitter the last couple of weeks. We've had people say, well, you know, he, he's developed, he's, he's, he's good. Like 
you know, do you want to take back what you said last year about the offense not being as good if he's running it? It's like, no, I don't. <laughs> this offense would be better with Bryce Perkins. Yes. Um, it is, it is uh, you know, decent to good with Brennan Armstrong. Right. And then the moment that he leaves the game, the whole thing kind of goes to hell. So, right. yeah, keep him healthy, keep him upright. He, he, he still makes some weird decisions at times. And, and, you know, there's things that he needs to get better at for sure. But what he's, you know, what he's doing there for now is, is working to some degree against most anybody, we'll say. Yep. Virginia's offense is, is good. It's functional. It's extremely flawed and too over-reliant on the quarterback because once he leaves the game, it is a disaster. Yep. So we've seen that this year. I mean, we've seen what UVA's offense looks like with like Lindell Stone, at quarterback, for example, and it is not the same. And UVA fans are going to say, well, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams look different with the backup quarterback. Yes, agreed. But you have to find other ways to score other than just running your quarterback 30 times and having him throw at like a 60% clip. Like you've got to have other ways to do it because if he's not effective on a particular day, you can't move the football. So it's a flawed offense. It seems to be working. If UVA stops the run uh, this coming weekend against Virginia Tech, like they did in this game against Boston College, they're going to win the football game. Yeah. So try to find a way to replicate this against one of the best running backs in the country, in Khalil Herbert, and you're going to be feeling pretty good about your chances to win the rivalry game for a second year in a row. Yeah. We had an interesting discussion with Banana Slug, one of our UVA listeners on Twitter, uh, early on Sunday talking about, you know, what, what do we expect the line to be for that Virginia-Virginia Tech game? And I basically said I could see either team favored by up to four points. Like, I think it's fairly close, but, yeah. you know, how do you split those hairs and that kind of thing? And, you know, he was surprised to find out that Virginia Tech actually was favored. You know, the numbers still like Virginia Tech more than Virginia, but how much of that yeah. comes from some early season performances rather than what we've seen recently, probably up for interpretation. So right, we'll talk about that game, obviously, as we uh, preview next week here. In yeah. a few days. Uh, Mike, that's all I got for now. Anything else? I think we're good. Virginia 43, Boston College 32. Because now, Mike, it is time to talk about number 10 Miami 48, Duke nothing. Um, Chase Bryce 20 for 25 for a whopping 94 yards. He sucks. I Look, I, I don't understand how one goes. 20 for 25 completes 80% of their 25 passes and comes up with 94 yards. That is that is something special, Mike. Joey, what'd you say the longest completion was for Chase Press? Uh, 13 yards to Nikki yep. Dalmolin. Dalmolin. That is not going to get it done. Yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, Miami just like imposed their will early and often in this game. It was 21 nothing at halftime. Derek King 16 to 24 for 248 and three scores. Uh, Cameron Harris with 15 carries for 96 yards and two scores. I mean, Miami moved the ball through the air. They moved the ball on the ground. Duke is done. This is this is a bad Duke team at this point, Mike. Uh, they need to be done with this season and move on. And Again, we've talked about it. They might need to be moving on from David Cutcliffe. We'll see. I, I don't know if they will or not, but we'll see if they do. Yeah, I mean, it's been bad for a few years for Duke, but this is definitely Duke kind of bottoming out, at least under David Cutcliffe. We haven't seen him look this bad in a while. Mm -mm. I should have just gone ahead and bet this game. The only reason why I didn't, I mentioned this on the podcast uh, in the preview, was that weird things tend to happen to Miami and Durham. Yep. And that is literally the only reason why I didn't bet this game, but all signs were pointing to this being a blowout. So I should, should have just stuck with my cut there and, you know, gone against my better judgment, but what the hell? Um, 
Mike, yeah, I, I was wrong. I was wrong about something in my prediction for this game. Um, Duke yeah, did not. That? Duke did not turn the ball over four times in this game. They turned it over five times in this game. <laughs> so I apologize for the uh, mis mis forecasting there. So it was worse. Um, so Duke has lost eleven more turnovers than the next worst team. They've caught the ball up thirty five times this year. Their thirty five turnovers are the most any team has had in a season since San Jose State had forty two turnovers in twenty seventeen. That is from our buddy Cam Underwood. So. Uh, important to note that San Jose State has played more games than Duke. So they have turned it over uh, just a little bit more than Duke has in less game. And Duke's played less games. So Duke is certainly on track to probably eclipse that number with the way they're coughing the ball up. This has been really, really bad for the Blue Devils all year in that department. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's some interesting turnover numbers, I think, in the ACC that we need to kind of point to a little bit when we talk about how some of these teams fortunes have gone this year such as mm -hmm. wake forest in seven games has lost a single turnover uh they are plus 15 in turnover margin meanwhile louisville has lost 24 turnovers and is minus 14 in turnover margin in 10 games so if you try to evaluate you know what our teams this year keep those things in mind yeah. uh, the, but let's put this in perspective here mike the ACC has four of the five, you know, highest turnover totals in the country this year. And granted, has been playing for longer than almost every conference. So there's that. But Syracuse with 21 turnovers is fifth worst in the country, tied for fifth. Yep. Uh, Georgia Tech, third worst in the country with 22 turnovers. Louisville, second worst in the country at 24. And then, as mentioned, from 24, we jump up to 35 turnovers on the year from Duke. And... We've kind of mentioned this before, but again, turnovers largely looked at as kind of a luck-based thing of, you know, you should recover about 50% of the fumbles in the game and, you know, every fifth pass or whatever should be intercepted. When you are turning the ball over 35 times in 10 games, something's broken, Mike. That is, there's something not right there. You don't know, nobody does that. That's not normal. Yeah, that's not a luck thing. That's a skill thing. It's the best part of Duke's offense, turning it over. Yeah, really. Um yeah, 19 fumbles, 16 interceptions. That's yeah, it's pretty brutal to watch. So terrible. Yeah, not great. Um, yeah, I mean, good win by Miami, and again, something that kind of is setting this Miami team aside or, or apart from other previous Miami teams. This is a game that they would have gotten messy and would have gotten weird. And and wait, why is Miami only up four with eight minutes to go or whatever? No, they just they went out there and they sat on Duke. Um, I will talk about some more if, if I feel like this is a really truly sustainable and, and like at, at its core different Miami team or if Derek King is just a different Miami quarterback. Derek King. But for now, this is a very different Miami team. So uh, Miami 48, Duke nothing. I don't have anything else here, Mike. No, Derek King's really good. He is really good. Uh, last one, number 17, North Carolina 49. The Western Carolina Catamounts nine points. Um, I was surprised to see that Western Carolina scored nine. Uh, but I guess they scored a touchdown, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter to, or no, they didn't. They kicked field goals in the fourth quarter. I don't I, look. Let's be honest. Didn't watch this game. Uh, nope. No reason to. UNC was up forty-two to three at halftime. Sam Howell was good. Nothing really to write home about here. But the second half, I mean, the second half went quick. Um, UNC only had the ball, you know, five times in the second half. Um, yeah, just kind of bled the clock and, and ran the thing out and just get this thing over with. 
seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, ten different ball carriers for North Carolina in this football game. So all the starters were pulled. And then if you were like fifth or sixth on the depth chart, you got in the game and got to carry the ball. Michael Carter had three touchdown runs in his finale as North Carolina's running back. He's a senior. Uh, DJ Jones had a touchdown run. This was, uh, you know, three incompletions by Sam Howell. He threw 20 to 23, 287, two touchdowns. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, 42 to three at halftime. Then all the backups were in after that. So, up oh, figured it out, Mike. Yep. There was a touchdown by Western Carolina in the fourth quarter with about f- six minutes left. Jace Reuter is sacked, fumbles, balls picked up and run in for a touchdown by the Catamounts. And then the extra point was blocked. <laughs> Just do one good thing and follow it by one bad thing. Yep, so. exactly. So, uh, yeah. Nice job, North Carolina. You took care of business. Make it easy. Good one. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on games. You want to give out some awards? No, we got one more game to preview here shortly. But, uh, or review, I guess, not preview. preview. <laughs> um, yes, let's give out awards, Sherry. Cue it up, baby. Here we go. Uh, go ACC moment of the week, Mike. This was in uh, your Hokies game. And, and as we mentioned, the game plan was good, and the Hokies really felt like they kind of pulled out all the stops trying to keep this game close, including but not limited to – Getting the uh, the yard the the yard crew the the, the uh, turf management crew involved on the on the gig. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, game plan was pretty good. The gamesmanship was even better. Uh, the sprinklers went off towards the end of the first quarter in the Virginia Tech game. Uh, Clemson had just picked up the first down. The sprinklers went off uh, right as they were preparing to run a play. Then Virginia Tech's players, led by linebacker Dax Hollyfield, started jumping around, acting like it was like this huge hype thing and to get them fired up. A uh, very weird moment in the middle of the game. You had the BT Browns crew like laying on the ground. You had Maria Taylor doing a report from the sideline with them kind of laying on the ground trying to figure out what was going on with sprinklers why the timer went off. So you have them just kind of in their big jackets. It seems like 30 degrees in Blacksburg just laying on the ground like trying to figure out what's going on with the sprinkler system. So you had all that going on in the middle of the first quarter. That's right. Yeah, Virginia Tech sideline all of a sudden jumping around like you thought they just like won the Super Bowl or something like that. Um, right, which they definitely didn't do that. Oh, uh, one more thing that I want to add uh, for Go ACC moment we can it from this game. Uh, ABC scheduled – I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. ABC schedules an interview with Ian Book. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh. Clearly, clearly expecting this game to be not competitive so that they can have this conversation with Ian Book. Meanwhile, the game is actually super competitive in the third quarter. Clemson was leading, getting ready to pull away, whatever. But it was a competitive game in the third quarter, and they just have like this Ian Book interview going on with Chris Fowler and Kirk Street doing the play-by-play, which pissed off a lot of Clemson and Virginia Tech fans. So like, mm-hmm. this is the last guy we want to hear from right now. We just want to watch the game. My, my wife was watching this and pointed out, like, how weird is it to be him and like halfway getting interviewed and halfway just like listening to them do play by play? It was very odd. It was, you know, oh, Ian, tell us about the, oh, and by the way, a six yard run by Travis Etienne. And it was, it was very strange. Yeah. Very yeah. Weird. And I, I have uh, a pretty, a pretty funny story. So I do, uh, I'm part of sons of Saturday.com for covering Virginia Tech. There is a sons of Saturday Notre Dame podcast uh, with a couple guys and they're, they're alums of ND. And I was, uh, one of them during the game because uh, we were talking about you know, Virginia Tech because Ian Book was getting interviewed, etc. Uh, I, I guess this podcaster for the Sons of Saturday, Notre Dame, Bob Smith, he said that he texted Notre Dame offensive lineman Liam Eichenberg and he was expecting Ian Book to come over for a nightcap just like hang out and drink. 
and Ian Book was being held hostage by ABC because he didn't know when the interview was going to take place, <laughs> which is a pretty hilarious story. So not only did the fans from Virginia Tech and Clemson get pissed off at this Ian Book interview is taking place, but Notre Dame's players were actually mad too because they were trying to hang out and party with Ian Book <laughs> as he became Notre Dame's all-time leader in home wins. So that was this whole kind of sidebar story that probably nobody would ever know, <laughs> but a pretty pretty funny scenario overall, I think. Yeah, maybe don't do that in the future, interviewing players for other teams while two other teams are playing. Yeah, yeah and shout out Luke Smith for that story. It's hilarious. Yeah, that was that was ridiculous. Um, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award goes to, and I, I have it written down here, Bowling Green? Oh God! Oh boy! Cue the music, Joey. The uh, the Bowling Green Falcons, love it. Uh, took on the Akron Zips, who were, I believe, on an active twenty-five game losing streak. Bowling Green was an underdog and lost thirty-one to three. Akron has not won a game since two Octobers ago. Goodness gracious! And so, again, not only. Did Bowling Green go in there and lose to him? Mike, they lost to him by four scores. Yep. It was the wow. Akron get right. The Akron get right game, Joey. Teon Dollard, Akron's running back, exploded in this game against Brian Van Gorder's incredible defense. 26 carries for 185 yards and two touchdowns. Goodness gracious. Uh, yeah, by the way, my favorite line here, uh, LeBron's Davis. Again, the, the other LeBron. Yes. Over one passing run. with a pick. So, yes. whatever they tried, it didn't work. Uh, so, to Scott Leffler, Brian Van Gorder, and the Bowling Green Falcons, you tried. You tried. We got to get these jokes in now because that job is probably going to open, I would think. I, I don't know. I mean, they, they were the ones that hired them to begin with, so who's to say? <laughs> this is true. Uh, Mike, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award has got to go to Chase Bryce. It's got to go to Chase Bryce, 20-25 for 94 yards. Yes, I, Chase Bryce. I can't even explain how that happens. Like, just it's like, a, it's like a game plan made entirely of bubble screens. That is correct. Just so odd. I mean, that's just not a recipe. Moving laterally is just not a recipe for success against a really good Miami defense. Yeah, not at all. So go ACC to Chase Bryce and uh, that Duke offense. Wow. Uh, so, fun week in the ACC, Mike. Team of the week, who you got? Team of the week's Virginia. Yeah, I think so. And I think the honorable mention has to be Miami for doing what they were supposed to do in Durham and kind of exercising those demons because for whatever reason, they seem to always struggle in Durham, but not on Saturday night. Yep. Yeah, stomped an absolute hole in Duke in a, in a way that they haven't really gotten used to doing in Durham over the last several years. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you got a player of the week? I think I think my player of the week is going to be Ian Book. He had five touchdowns for Notre Dame, uh, just kind of really consistent the entire way through. Even when Notre Dame's offense wasn't really moving the ball well in the first half, it had less to do with Ian Book and more to do with the fact that they weren't getting the push up front, running the football with their backs. So uh, credit Notre Dame for figuring that out. But, yeah, Ian Book, five touchdowns, casual. I, I'll give mine to Javon McKinley. Again, I mean, he nice had, choice. he had again, three receiving touchdowns and a, and a couple of them that were just like absolutely abusive catches to a, a Syracuse yep. defense. Um, so, 
you know, him being physical and, and kind of taking over the game that way, I thought that was really good. And then I'll, I'll give my honorable mention to uh, Brandon Armstrong. Uh, that he he played his tail off in that game, um, you know, both through the air and on the ground. So um, kind of willing Virginia to a shootout win there against a, a feisty Boston College team, even missing its leaders. So good on Brandon Armstrong there in that game. Yeah, for sure. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else on week 13 in the ACC? Pretty efficient recap, I think. I think so. Uh, one of our more efficient recaps for sure. Uh, Mike, we move on to week 14 where we do still have games, which is interesting and great and unusual for being this deep in, into December. Um, but we will come back and preview some games then. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT. I almost said CFB. Wow. Mike McDaniel VT. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Wow. Yeah, whoops. Uh, you can find us at BC Podcast ACC on Instagram as well. So go do that. Uh, you can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And Mike, you want to tell them where else they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash review. Find all of your podcasts there. Go check out Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com. 20% off your first order with promo code GOACC at checkout. Get those orders in by December 10th if you want by Christmas. Absolutely. Please do. Please do. Appreciate your support, not only of this podcast, but also some really great people over at Homefield by doing that. Mike, anything else? On to rivalry week? Something Question like mark? that. I don't know. Is it? For some, for some anyway. <laughs> yes, kind of. Um, we actually have a weeknight game coming up this week, so keep uh, keep it tuned here. We'll talk about Pittsburgh traveling to Georgia Tech on a Thursday night to play on the uh, the old Jefferson Pilot game, because God. why not? Um, and then, yeah, we've got some other interesting matchups. North Carolina-Miami should be real interesting. Uh, yeah, I might like Miami there, weirdly. I might we'll talk not. about it. Might, might not also. Let's look at what the so. spread is there real quick. This is great podcasting. Uh, Miami, a three-and-a-half-point home favorite, so that'll be fun to talk about. Hmm. Hmm. Do so you want to come back and talk about that? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. All right, we will do that here in the next couple of days. Uh, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon, and until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.